0: morning. It is a uh, it is truly a pleasure for me to be here. Um, for those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is Adam Adam Felders. My wife Wendy here in the third row. You saw, I guess, but they were going to stay. I guess they're gone. Oh, okay, got two. I uh, got an 11 year old girl and a 7 year old boy, Gwen and Reed. Um, there she is in the flesh. <laughs> um, I, I, before I get started, um, can I just can I just thank you? Um, this body has really welcomed us in, and um, we had some we had some pain that we came from, and uh, to see. My kids enjoy this place, and to find a body that will welcome us in and 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 um, help us to become part of this family, uh, it's really been a blessing. It really has. Uh, we needed this. We needed um, to find a place that aligned with where our hearts were. That we need a place of, to, uh, that aligned with um, our our doctrinal convictions and. Um, I'm excited about what God is doing here in this church, whatever you want to call it, a revitalization, replant, whatever it is. It's a very good thing. And God is at work. And, uh, I just want to extend my thanks to you. Um, I also want you to know that, uh, I do get the opportunity to, to, speak from time to time in different places. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Waynesboro, and, and I've had the opportunity to preach at other churches in the past. Um, I do not take this lightly. This is a weighty thing. Um, It's a very weighty thing. So this is the word of God, folks. I mean, the maker of the universe gave us his words. And I can so very easily open it up and and be flippant and be easy with it and take it lightly. And until I really stop and think, holy moly. This is the word of the creator of the universe. Um, That's a huge thing. It's a privilege to have it, and it's a privilege to speak about it today, and it's a weighty thing to speak about it because to to talk about the words of God is no small thing. So in that vein, um, would you just pray with me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I need his help. For anything good to happen today, because it's not going to come from me. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, Father God and Holy Spirit, I thank you. First and foremost, for who you are. You are God and we are not. And that is a very good thing. I thank you that you are sovereign over all things. I thank you that uh, nothing takes you by surprise. You never say, oops. Or, oh, what now? You are over all, you see all. You are the God who created us and the God who could snuff us out in a second if you desired to because you have the power and the right to do it and yet you are a God of love and, um, mercy and a God of compassion as well. You are not a hard, God and that combination God is is what we will what we will glory in and wonder about and praise you for for all of eternity I thank you for your word you didn't have to give us the Bible we could have you could have you were fully in your right to create us and let us try to figure it out on our own and yet um you gave us the word. You gave us your very word for our benefit and for your glory. So today, this morning, I pray that um, the words that are shared here today are wrought on by the Holy Spirit and that uh, hearts and minds would be opened to receive it. God, I pray for the believers in this room, those that have surrendered their life to you as Lord and Savior, that they will be edified and built up today. And I pray for the one that may not believe have salvation here today. I pray for a miracle. I pray God that you would open blind eyes and that we would see salvation here today. So we give you this time. I surrender and submit my heart and mind to you. And I ask you to, to guide us now. for your glory once again and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, if you've been around for a little while anyway, you, you know that um, at the beginning of the year, kind of tail end of the, of the first quarter, we talked about small groups. And we launched those small groups it was about seven to nine weeks or so. And within that time, we went through a book um, that was about living the gospel-centered life. And it was really good. Um, it was a great reminder in a lot of ways. But for me, you know, I've been a Christian for 30 some years. Um, for me, there was another piece of that that was especially positive, especially helpful to me as I, um, I I've tried to make a habit of confession when I pray. Right. When I speak or when I when I'm speaking to the Lord, when I'm praying, when I'm reading the Bible, that usually is I, I know I need to do that. Right. We um, we repent unto salvation, but repentance doesn't just happen there and never happens again. You continue to repent for the rest of your life, right? Not that you need to be saved over and over and over again, but that relationship with the Father, with the Lord, can be um, hurt by unconfessed sin. So it's good to confess sin on a regular basis. And I've, I made a habit of doing that, but... I would, do, I would do basically two things. I would confess the sin, and I would ask the Lord to help me not to do it anymore. And that was the extent of it, which was great. But this book helped me to see that there's a critical piece in the middle of that. There's a critical piece in the middle of that. And that piece is a recognition of the cross. That yes, I sin, I have done something wrong, and yes, I need God's assistance to not do that anymore. But in between there... That very sin was paid for by Jesus 2,000 years ago on the cross. And I need to recognize that. I need to, I need to be able to to reflect on that and thank the Lord for that and be, and be grateful to Him in that moment for that, right? I'm not talking about ambiguous sins of the world. I'm talking about I got mad at my kids yesterday and lost my temper, God, and you died for that. 2,000 years ago, that sin is part of what puts you on the cross right you died 2000 years ago because 2000 years later i was going to get mad at my kids and and lose my temper and that it brings it home right it's a recognition that that this sin that I committed, I need to confess. Yes, but it's already been paid for. It's been taken care of. The punishment has been exacted on the cross, and that's been very helpful for me to be more gospel-centered in how I think and how I pray and how I confess, how I even repent. So, what that's done is it's drawn my mind to um, the scripture that we're going to look at today, First John one nine. If you've been a Christian for a little while, you probably have this one memorized. Right. That if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right. First John is where it comes from. First John, chapter one, verse nine. It comes from a book written to believers. The point of First John is to help believers know they're believers. Right, so it starts out at the very beginning talking about sin. The very first, the, the the verse right prior to that, First John one eight says, "If any of you says you don't sin, the truth is not in you. You're a liar." So even as believers, we know we're going to sin. Sin is going to happen, right? So what do we do when we sin? Well, First John one nine, the very next verse, as we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. To forgive us of our sins. So, I don't know about you, but there are times when I can feel that tension between myself and the Lord, and it, I feel a resistance. I don't, nobody likes to talk about confession. Nobody likes to talk about their sin, how they messed up, right? So I feel a resistance at times where I don't want to talk about sins, especially those sins that I've done over and over and over again, right? I feel very, uh, I, I feel extra burdened over those or extra bad about those. And I don't want to talk about those. So what in this verse can we look to as a motivation when we feel that resistance? Right. What can we look to in this verse as a motivation to drive us to confession and repentance, to draw us into confession and repentance? And I think there's two things. And it's the characteristics of God, his faithfulness and his justice. So, we're going to look at those two today. I think the first one most get, right? There's a there's an aspect of God's faithfulness that people understand. They um, uh if we confess our sin, God is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get that because when we think about God, we think about how God is a God of love. God wants to forgive, right? He 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 um he is a God-rooted... I mean, 1 John, 1, uh, 1 John four eight says that God is love. So why wouldn't I think, if I have that context of God in my mind, why wouldn't I be motivated to confess sin because I know that God is a God of love and He's going to forgive me? Right? He is a merciful God. He, he forgave me when I became a Christian. He's going to continue to forgive me. I think most people get that. right? I should be motivated to confess because I know that God is faithful to forgive me. He's never going to say, No i'm not going to forgive that you know you were good for the first fifty times, but that you 've run out he 's not going to do that he 's faithful to forgive so I, people get that I get that, but if i 'm honest, um, i've struggled in the past, and, and maybe um, I know i'm on a different wavelength at least with my wife because she 's like i don't i don't struggle with that um, so if that's you. Pray for me right now. Um, you can check out for a little while, but if, it, if 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 you're like me, this is one of the things that I struggle with. Okay, um, I struggle with a resistance to confess because I'm thinking about what does God look like? What is the countenance of God as I come to Him and ask for forgiveness? Right? What does He What what is he if if he was standing in front of me and I could see him and I'm asking him to forgive me for this way that I've I've failed, especially if it's one of those ways that I've failed over and over and over again. What what does he look like? Right? Is he um is he annoyed? Right? Again, really? We just talked about this yesterday. Right? Is he got his arms crossed? Ticked off? Right. Is he is he totally disengaged? Right. Is he looking at me with those eyes that say, I'm really disappointed in you, Adam? Right. Is it a fact that God will is his faithfulness? a belief that God will forgive because the Bible says he will, but he really doesn't want to. I know he will forgive me, but I know he doesn't He doesn't really want to forgive. Basically, he begrudges his forgiveness. He begrudges his mercy to us. He begrudges his love to us. Because, especially in those areas where we fail time and time again, um, I wonder sometimes if he grows weary of me. Right? Grows weary of forgiving me for the same thing. Um, or, maybe it's a really bad sin. Maybe it's one that you wouldn't want to say to anybody else. And you have an idea of God in your mind going, you did what? Excuse me? Right? I mean, is that the way that we see him? Because those things would push a person away from wanting to confess, even if God is faithful, because he could say, well, yeah, I know he's going to, but he's not going to want to. He's going he's gonna to do it because he has to. Um. We read two scriptures today, Micah seven eighteen through 20, Amen. and uh, Romans 3. And I want to take you there. So if you would, open your Bible. Go to that section in your Bible where the gold is still on the edges. That's the minor prophets. Um, Micah, minor prophet, right between Jonah and Nahum. Go to chapter 7. We're going to reread this, verses eighteen through twenty. This passage has been absolutely instrumental in um, my understanding, my getting my head right about the the, the countenance of God as I come to Him and asking in asking forgiveness. Okay. Um, actually, if you were here when Josh spoke, he was earlier in this chapter, right? He talked about gutsy guilt. Right. We're kind of speaking the same language here in the same vein. So let's go to the end of this um, end of this chapter. Micah seven verses 18, really 18 and 19. We'll read 18 through 20. Here's what it says. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. There's a lot in those verses that affirm God is faithful and he will be faithful to his word. right? Um, he will again have compassion on us, he'll tread our iniquities underfoot, he'll cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea, he'll be faithful, steadfast love, da 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 All of those things, I could still say in my head, yeah, that's all true, but does he want to? Right? That doesn't solve the problem. I know that's going to happen because I believe the Bible. The Bible says it's going to happen, he's going to do it. But does he want to? Look at verse 18. Specifically the second part, 18b. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. That is talking about God's heart, folks. That's talking about how is God, what is his countenance before me? Is he irritated, annoyed, exasperated, fed up, disappointed? When I ask him to forgive me, or is he happy to forgive me? Does he delight to show me mercy and forgive me? Right. If you had the NASB, it doesn't say um, he delights in steadfast love. It says he delights to show mercy. Right. God does not listen to me. Emmanuel. Right. God does not begrudge his forgiveness. He does not begrudge his forgiveness. In fact, he absolutely, based on the authority of Scripture, not me, you shouldn't care what the heck I say. You should care what this book says. And this book says he delights to show you mercy. He delights to show you mercy. This should be a great encouragement. Why is that, though? You ever wonder that? Like, okay, that's fine, but why, why would that be the case for God? When He shows mercy to you, either in salvation, in your, in your conversion to become a Christian, or your ongoing mercy that He extends to you as, you as you ask for His forgiveness and He gives it to you, His mercy is on display. His mercy is spotlighted. And when that happens, the cross is magnified and He is glorified. That's why it works, folks. God gets the glory we get the joy. Right? God gets the glory. We get saved. God gets the glory. We get forgiven. We get the benefits of God glorifying Himself. And when He forgives us over and over and over, at the beginning of conversion, all the way through the rest of your life, every time He does that, He delights to do it because it glorifies His name. His His grace is magnified. So He wants to do it. He wants to do it because he loves you. And he wants to do it because it glorifies his name. And both of those things are accomplished in one act. His forgiving you. His forgiving you. So. Um, that work on the cross is sufficient. To cover any and every sin that you ever have or ever will commit. Right? And as he continually... Um, Gives you forgiveness. uh, He glorifies himself. He is not only faithful to forgive, but he's actually happy to forgive you. And that's huge. That was huge for me. Right. So if that's like, I don't know where you're at there, Adam, um, I would ask you to check back in now. Um, So we'll move on to hopefully something that does um, scratch where you itch. Um, If you are not a Christian here today, You need to know, too, that God would very much delight to extend initial forgiveness to you, saving forgiveness to you, right? Um, The Bible makes it very clear that he desires all men to be saved. He wants, he genuinely wants to save people, and he would be delighted to save anyone here that does not. Know him that first act of forgiveness that you'll experience for the rest of your life would happen at your salvation. So that's that's the first right. I think forgiveness is, is one that we can get our head around or, or faithfulness is one we can get our head around. Um, what about the next one? So again, when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Um, just God's justice. How would the justice of God, how would the just nature of God serve to encourage us, motivate us to confess our sins? Um, That's a strange question, right? Because you would think it'd be just the opposite. When I mess up, if God is just, he's going to punish, right? He's not going to sweep it under the rug. He's going to punish for that sin and that doesn't feel like that would encourage me to go tell him what I did, right? His justice would seem to push me away, not entreat me in. Um, so what? How, how does this work? How can the justice of God actually draw us into confession? Um, I think the way that we need to do this, you really need to get an understanding of the justice of God, what it is, Um, how it works, and the best place you can do that is where Mike read in Romans 3. So turn with me to Romans chapter 3. So we can get our heads around what happened on the cross as it relates to God's justice. I think we can get a glimpse into how the justice of God or the just characteristic of God can draw us in to want to confess our sins on a regular basis. All right. So, this passage, this this paragraph, is arguably—I've uh, heard some say—and I tend to agree—arguably the most important paragraph in the entire Bible. And that's a big statement, right? I mean, there's a, there's a lot in here, to so to say that this is arguably the most important paragraph in the entire Bible should perk your eyeballs, right? You should pay attention to what we're going to talk about. And I need you to put your thinking caps on because Paul here who wrote Romans is a very logical thinker. I love him for that. Romans is one of my favorite books. I've, I've kind of committed to reading it once a week for the rest of the year. I just want to, it's, it's the whole gospel from start to end, right? All the way through conversion and then on into the Christian life. So um, I just i just love it because I, I, I track with uh, how Paul thinks. He's very logical in his progression. So I'm gonna, we're gonna read this again. I'm just gonna read it through, and then we're gonna pull a couple of pieces out because I think it's really important to understand the justice of God here. So starting with verse 21, um, Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Alright. Lot there. Deep, deep, deep stuff, right? So let's, let's pull this apart. Um, so the verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And then verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. Okay, That's not talking about the attribute of God's righteousness, like God is a righteous judge. That's talking about the righteousness that is imputed to us, that's given to us, the righteousness of Christ given to us as we are converted. Right? That's why it says the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. So that is a righteousness that is imputed on to us. When God looks at a believer, even though we continue to sin, He looks at us through the through the cheesecloth or through the through the um, the filter of Christ's righteousness. He does not see all the muck and the mire. I mean, He does because He's God, but He doesn't hold that against us because He sees us as righteous because of Christ's covering, the imputation of God's righteousness, the putting on of God's righteousness on us. Right. So that's the first part. Right, And we need that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, starting in verse, um, let's go to verse, well, the tail end of 24. So I'm going to go ahead and read, read 24, and we're going to slow down as we go through these verses. Okay, so we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, comma, verse 25, whom? Okay, so we've got Christ. God did something with Christ. What did he do? Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation. Big, hairy theological word. Basically, what it is, is a um, wrath remover, a wrath atonement. It's a wrath substitute. Um, Ephesians 2 makes it very clear that as you are born, uh, I was talking to a, a, a lady about this in Glen Elk a couple weeks ago and she couldn't get her head around the fact that when you are born you are born a child of wrath. the wrath of God is on you at birth. You don't start out neutral and then you're either okay or not okay. you start out in the whole, okay So the wrath of God is on you, okay So that wrath appeasement was handled, and that that handling of God's wrath is called propitiation. Every person, because of our very nature, by, both by what we do, I've heard Jason stand up here and say we sin both by nature and by action, or I, know, I can't remember how he says it, but it's really good. Like, oh man, that's really good, I can't even remember that. But... Um, by, by our actions, but also by our nature. Our very nature is sinful, right? So we have a wrath problem that needs to be solved. All right. So the propitiation of Christ solved that problem. So Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a wrath remover, as a wrath substitute, as a wrath um, uh, satisfier. Right? By his blood, i.e. when he died on the cross, to be received by faith. Now this, this next line says, why did that even have to happen? Right? Why did that even have to happen? This was what was? God putting forth Jesus as a propitiation. That's the this. Right? This was to show God's righteousness. Stop. That tells me that God's righteousness was in question. Otherwise, why would he have had to put it forth? Right. There must have been something going on that people are going. I'm not sure God is righteous. I'm not Something's. God's righteousness must be hidden somehow. He needed to do something to put it forth, to show it. Right. There was a question here in Paul's mind, a cosmic question, big time question God does not look righteous for some reason, but God solved that problem when he put forth Christ as propitiation. To show, no, 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 to show, yes, God is righteous. Because, look, he put forth his son as propitiation. So what then would lead someone, i.e. Paul or anybody else, to to question, I wonder if God's righteous or not. He doesn't appear to be righteous. Paul answers that. Right. This was to show God's righteousness because side note, anytime you see a because or for therefore in the Bible, you got to pay attention because those are ground clauses. Those are reasons behind the truth. Critical. So this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Passed him over. Didn't do anything about it. Just passed him over. That doesn't sound like a very righteous thing to do. If somebody does something, they should be punished for it. And yet, Paul tells us here, in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. The, the best example of this... Um, One of my favorite teachers, he, he goes, he, preachers, teachers, he goes to this because it really is the classic example. Think about Uriah. Think about David and Bathsheba and Uriah. Right? Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. David walking on the top of his of his roof. He's not where he's supposed to be with the men out at war. He sees Bathsheba taking a bath. He likes what he sees. He says, I'm the king. I would like her. He brings her in knowing that she is married. He rapes her. He gets her pregnant. He finds out about it, tries to hide it. And what's he do? Through a series of things, he ends up having Uriah murdered to hide it, to cover it up. This is the man, folks, that the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. Right? David is a, a murdering lying rapist. And he's all he's kept it all quiet, right? And then the prophet Nathan comes on the scene. And he says, you have sinned. And he does it in a really cool way. We're not going to get into it. But David sees it then. And he says, yes, I have sinned. I am guilty. And what does Nathan say? He goes, darn right you're guilty and God's going to smite you. No, he doesn't say that. Nathan says, You're okay. God has put away your sins. He has put away your sins. You shall not die. That is unfair, folks. That is an unjust thing to do. The man is guilty. He is a lying, murderous, adultering, rapist, and God just said, yeah, you're guilty. I'm gonna put it away. You're not gonna die. How is that okay? How is that ever okay? If it's your daughter, I mean, put yourself in, in Bathsheba's place or, or, what about Bathsheba's parents? Right? This man raped my daughter and God's just gonna let it go. How is that okay? What about Uriah's parents? Right? What about Bathsheba? You killed, you had my, 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 my husband murdered. You had my son Murdered. And God's just gonna let that go. Just gonna pass over that sin. How on earth is that okay? Would it be okay with you? Well, if it was your daughter, your son, right? They caught the guy, took him to the, took him to to jail, he goes and stands before the judge. He goes, hey, I'm, you know, I am guilty. Caught red-handed, but I hear you're a really merciful judge. So, I'm asking for you to extend mercy to me. And the judge goes, you know what? You're right. I am a pretty merciful guy. You can go. And it's your relative, folks. Is that okay? No, it's not okay. Because there's something inside of all of us that screams there must be justice. That comes from God. Because God is a just God. So this is the cosmic problem that Paul sees. How on earth can God be a just God having passed over all these sins of the past? How is that possible? Which, by the way, this is an exact opposite problem that the rest of the world feels. Right? When I'm out uh, evangelizing on the streets or if I'm out in a different church doing, um, doing preaching or whatever, you don't hear this from folks. I've never heard somebody come to you, you know what, what really bothers me? That God, the righteousness of God is at at stake here. He should really punish people. That's not what you hear. You hear the exact opposite, right? You hear, well, hey, if God's a loving God, he should forgive everybody for everything. You hear the exact opposite. So Paul is on his own very God-inspired, very different wavelength the righteousness of God is um, at stake here, and what does what does this verse say? How does this verse say that that problem was solved? right? Again. Whom God put forth, Jesus Christ, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show that God, yes, was indeed, is indeed righteous. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show, again, it, putting Christ forth as our propitiation on the cross. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just And the justifier of the one who has faith. So how do we pull this together? Because Paul knows his Bible. He knows Psalm 711 very clearly. 711 says God is a righteous judge. And yet he also knows all throughout the Old Testament. So many places where it talks about the steadfast love of the Lord. and He delights to have mercy. He would have known. Right? Micah. So how on earth can God be a righteous judge and punish for the sin that he should punish for and yet at the same time be a forgiving and merciful and compassionate God and forgive for those exact same sins? How does he accomplish that? When I talk to folks on the streets, that's where I get them. That's where I want them to be. I want them to be in that spot, right, where they understand and they own the sin that they know that they do. And at that moment, if, they, if I can help them see that they deserve to be punished because God is a righteous judge, and yet he wants to forgive you and he wants to save you, how do you think that happens? And inevitably they go, I don't know. And rightfully so. It sounds like a contradiction. It sounds like the two cannot come together, but they do. They do come together because enter the cross, the propitiation that Romans is talking about. At the cross, God's just characteristic, his just nature is upheld because the sins that deserve to be punished are punished. They're just not punished on me and you and every other believer. They were born by the Son of God. He was a just God by pouring out his just punishment on Christ. That remains, that retains his justice. Right? God is a righteous judge because that sin was not swept underneath the rug. Right? He did not just disregard it. That sin of David and my sin when I get angry and lose my temper and your sin fill in the blank was paid for. If you are a believer, by Christ on the cross. And when that happened, God was, God remained just because He did punish for that sin. He didn't let it go. He just punished Christ on your behalf, which means the second piece can now be true. Now that His justice has been satisfied. He can forgive you. He can love you. His characteristic of mercy and grace can remain because he punished somebody else for what you did, namely his own son. That's the only way it works, folks. It's the only way that it works, and it's by God's design that that, that is salvation. When we talk about the gospel, right, when we talk about the gospel being good news, that's what gospel means, Good news is only good news if the news is bad to begin with. Right? And the bad news is you've got a sin problem. A big time sin problem. If you don't handle it, you're going to have to answer for your own sins. Because God is just. And he will punish for your sins. He'll either punish Christ 2,000 years ago for your sins. Or he will punish you. And that punishment happens in an eternity in hell. conscious. Torment. So, this combination is simply amazing. And when we think about the justice of God, right? If we confess our sins, we are he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So if that is this picture of God's justice, that no, God is just. And he upheld his justice because he poured out his wrath on his son instead of on you, even though you deserved it. God's justice was upheld. How should that then motivate us and encourage us to confess? We should be motivated, encouraged to confess our sins, not only on the basis of God's faithfulness and his delight to forgive us, but also because that sin that you're thinking about, that you would confess to the Lord, has already been punished for. Right? The punishment for that sin. Not again, folks. I'm, 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 I'm I'm, I'm entreating you. I'm imploring you. When you think about your sin, you need to own it. You need to think about it in specific terms. Right? That sin that I did, that sin was paid for by Christ. And God is now just to forgive me. He, is, he would be unjust if He was to hold that against me because He's already exacted the punishment for it. Does that make sense? He's not going to do it twice. The punishment is in full on Christ. Therefore, He is just now to forgive me. Amen. And that is really, really good news. Christ has been punished on your behalf for the sins that you create, the wrath that you deserve has been absorbed, has been taken by Jesus Christ on the cross, if you are a child of his. And I think God wants to do that too, right? Because, again, just like when when we recognize that justice, right? This is the piece that I was missing, folks. This is the piece I can confess. I can say, God, help me not do that anymore. But when I recognize the cross in the middle of that, I am recognizing that my sin and the just penalty for my sin has been laid out and and taken by the Son of God. And when that happens, it shines the spotlight once again on the cross and on grace, and God is glorified by it once again. He wants to forgive Not only on the basis of his love and his mercy and his grace, which gives him glory, but also on his justice. Because I did not let that sin, that sin you're talking about, Adam, I did not let that go unpunished. I punished my son instead of you. And that gives Jesus glory for stepping in and being in our place. It gives God glory by um, putting our eyes on grace and the cross and what was done there for us Um, if you are not a Christian here today I don't know how else to say this other than you you rightly deserve to be punished if you're a Christian here today or if you're an, an, an unbeliever you're not a Christian here today you rightly deserve to be punished but I'm here to tell you too Jesus Christ took that punishment for you. If you will turn to him, that gift will be applied to you. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. If you choose not to, if you choose to reject it, your sins will be accounted for. Your sins will be punished for. And um, there is only one that will pay for them at that point, and that's you. And we do not want that. Jesus, God wants to save sinners; He delights to do so. So, a couple takeaways here as we wrap up. Um, Christian, do you confess? Is this a regular part of your life, right? Is, is repentance, ongoing repentance, part of your life? Uh, if it's not, it should be. And I would, I would pray, I would hope that. God's faithfulness and His justice can entreat you, can draw you in, can motivate you to confess regularly. To keep that relationship between you and the Father intact. Not in the sense that you lose that relationship, but you lose the community. You lose the closeness. You lose the that relational intimacy when we when we push away confession. Right? We don't want that. We want to be... Connected with our Father. And let the faithfulness and the justice of God draw you into that. Um, Christian, He has not given up on you. He has not given up on you. Uh, Even if, like me, you struggle with the same sin seemingly over and over and over, His faithfulness will continue to forgive you. He will forgive you time and time again. Um, he's not like us. If you had somebody come up to you, sinned against you, and every day they were coming going, "Please forgive me," would you not get a little exasperated, especially if they were saying the same doing the same thing over and over again, right? His faithfulness is supernatural, and he's not given up on you. Um, I will say, too, though, that if we come to the Lord in confession, quote unquote, um, but our hearts are not grieved over the sin that we are confessing. If, if we take it lightly, flippantly. Right. Oh, God. I yeah, know I looked at that person the wrong way. Please forgive me. And there's no there's nothing in my spirit that says I hate this. I hate this. I long for the day when I don't get angry. I long for the day when I don't treat people that way. I hate this part of me, right? If there's no zeal in that, in you, to to want righteousness, to pursue righteousness, if there's no eagerness within yourself, like, I don't have peace with this sin until I get it out. I need to confess this. I'm eager to clear myself, right? Right? Second Corinthians seven ten and eleven make it very clear that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. And what that what that godly grief looks like is an eagerness to clear yourself, is an indignation over the sin. It's a longing. It's a fear. Right? We take it seriously. So if that's if you just approach God in your prayers and oh yeah, I know God did it again, we need to have a We need to have a mourning in our heart over our sin. And God will forgive us time and time again. Right? We're not going to be sinless, folks. Until until glory, we're going to sin every day. But we should hate it. We should hate sin. And we should fight against it. That's why Paul told Timothy, the Christian life is a fight of faith. It's a fight for faith. Right? Anyway, he wants to forgive us because he's glorified when he does it. And he's also just to forgive, because once again, Jesus took our place, he took our punishment, and he's glorified when we recognize that and we thank him for it. And we own that sin, but we also own what Jesus did for us on the cross. And if you, that's for the believers, if you're here and you're not a believer today, um, or if you're not really sure, maybe, if you're saved, um Today is the day of salvation. Do you believe that you've sinned against the Lord? Or do you think you're okay? Is there grief in your heart over that sin? Or do you have peace with it? Are you at rest? Peace with it? Not a big deal. Um, If you do recognize that you've got sin and and that there's grief in there, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. And he may be drawing you into a relationship with him. And I would say that today is the day to repent. It's time to confess what you say you believe, right? That Christ died for you so that you don't have to be punished um, to admit that, that you can't save yourself. We've got some close relatives now that are just convinced that they need to get their lives right. That they can save somehow. Better their life to save themselves. And it's it's impossible. You cannot better your life. The call to salvation is a call to give up. To fall on your face and ask the Lord for mercy. Cry out to him to save you. Jesus Christ took the punishment that you deserve on your behalf. If you will have him. If you will turn and trust that what he did on the cross is actually sufficient to save you. And it will be, and it will be. So call upon the, nor- on the, on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Romans 10, 13 makes that very clear to us. And if that is you, um, there are a lot of people, myself included in this room, that would love to speak to you. So do not leave this place until you've taken care of that. Um, I'll be around up front or anybody that you may know that you came with or, or a friend, relative. They'll be happy to talk to you. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer and commit this to him. Lord God, thank you that you are faithful and just to save the unsaved and that you are faithful and just to forgive those that are saved. I thank you that, um, that we don't have to worry As Christians, we don't have to worry. We don't have to doubt whether or not you're going to be true to your word. And more than that, we don't even have to doubt your heart towards us in the midst of it. That you genuinely want to forgive us. You delight to forgive us. You delight to shine the spotlight on the cross and on grace. Because it highlights your faithfulness to us. It highlights the justice of God. That you will not be mocked, that sin will be punished, but unbelievably, you sent your own son to take the penalty for the sin that I, Adam Felder, commit. And it's only on the basis of that, the wrath being removed and placed on Christ, that I can, that I can stand before you and not be vaporized not be obliterated due to your holiness. I turn, as I pray all my brothers and sisters in Christ here would do, we turn and we acknowledge that and we rest on that. We find our assurance in that. And we thank you for your faithfulness and your justice. I pray that it would draw us in to confess and live lives of confession and repentance. Once again, for your glory. In our joy, in Jesus' name, amen.